First Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, in 1996, Michael Behe, who is a Christian scientist, published a very significant book called Darwin's Black Box. Some of you may have read this book. It made waves in the scientific community and, and in the church community as well because the book posed a strong argument against uh, standard evolutionary theory. And uh, one of Behe's chief arguments was what he calls irreducible complexity, irreducible complexity. This is the argument, according to Behe, that certain biolog biological systems cannot have evolved by successive small modifications to pre-existing functional systems through natural selection because no less complex system would function. You guys all got that? Let me translate. What Behe says is take the famous example that he uses of the human eye. The eye, Behe claims, consists of all kinds of very small parts, each of which serves an essential role. And without every part of all of these very small parts of the eye functioning properly, the eye as a whole does not function properly. Therefore, to say that the human eye, as an example, evolves as a system over time is self-defeating because the eye couldn't survive over time as an eye without every part functional. Every part is necessary for the whole to work at all. The eye, be he argued, is irreducibly complex. Now, setting aside for a moment whether or not Behe's argument holds up, which I think it does, some of our Christian scientists can answer questions you have much better than I can about that. I think that idea of, of irreducible complexity is a good analogy for life together as members of a church. Every part of a church, every one of you must be functional, must be engaged if the whole is to thrive. Throughout the New Testament, we see again and again that the church consists of God's people saved by God's grace in Jesus who are called to serve and to love and to worship together as one family. And so the scriptures tell us very clearly, every single member matters. Every single person has something to give, has something to offer. Every Christian has deep value for every other Christian Every one of you is needed. The church is irreducibly complex. Our vitality and our health is dependent upon everyone serving with the gifts that God has given. I want to explore that idea just for a few minutes with you today as we think about the idea of a serving church. We're in the second of this three-week uh, mini-series on the vision of our church. And we're asking, 
uh, what is God doing among us now? And how this fall uh, can we grow in pursuing our mission together as Christ Church, which is, by the way, to savor God's grace, to build God's community, and to join in God's mission. So last week, we looked at the idea of a welcoming church. This fall, I want all of us to focus in on welcoming new people, on welcoming people who are on the fringes and echoing God's own hospitality who calls the needy into his banquet. Now, this week, we're going to think about how we can use our particular gifts given by God to serve, to serve one another well. This text from 1 Peter is one of the many texts I could have chosen to cast this aspect of our vision. It's a straightforward text, I think. I want to summarize it in one sentence. And then we're going to break that sentence down into four parts as we move through the text this morning. So here's my one-sentence summary. Here's the main idea for you today. God has given all of us gifts to use to serve one another as good stewards in the strength God supplies for God's glory. God has given all of us gifts to use to serve one another as good stewards in the strength that God supplies for God's glory. That's what I want you to hear and believe as we move through 1 Peter 4 today. So let me break that down for you into four parts. Let's look at the text. First, God has given all of us gifts. Look in verse 10. Peter implies that every Christian, without exception, has received a gift of God's grace. Verse 10, as each has received a gift. If you're here today and you have seen yourself as a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness, if you've looked to Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to forgive your sins and to wash you pure and clean, and if you believe that he rose from the dead so that you can be saved, then God, through the ministry of his spirit, has given you gifts. That word gift in 4.10 is the same word that the apostle Paul uses, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he talks about spiritual gifts. What is a gift? These are ministry abilities given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of helping the church flourish. That's what gifts are. And there are all kinds of gifts listed in the New Testament. They're listed in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, and here in 1 Peter 4. Now think with me about this. One of the wonderful things One of the many wonderful things about being a Christian is the reality that God, the Father of all and the eternal creator, knows us and that God gives us gifts that fit who he is calling us to be. Um, God knows us intimately and fully and gives us gifts that are exactly meant for us. Some of you may have, you know, as your children grow up, you may have had this experience. One of your, your kids perhaps get inv- gets invited to a birthday party. Let's say it's a birthday party from the person that sticks nets to him or her in class, but it's not someone that your child knows very well. And so your son says, yeah, I'm going to go to the birthday party, even though this person's not really my friend. And it comes to the day before the party and you need to go buy a Christmas present or excuse me, a birthday present. And you say to your child, what does little Jimmy or little Sally like? And they're like, I, I have no idea. I barely know him. I just sit next to him in class and I'm hoping there's some cake available, right? That's not at all 
how God thinks about us. God knows us. And because God knows us, he can give to us in exactly the right and most generous way. James tells us in James 1, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. God gives every single Christian gifts sovereignly and specifically. He has designed and wired you to serve him in particular ways. So you are needed. You are valued. I want you to hear, I want you to believe how personal this is. Listen, friend, God gives you gifts, not just because you're a Christian generally. God gives you gifts because you're you. God loves you. God has a purpose for you. God wants you to grow and to serve and to minister. One of the joys of being a pastor is that I get to see a lot of kind of the big picture of what's happening here. And one way that shows up is in watching how God gives you, our congregation, a great variety of gifts, and then he asks you to go use them. This, this year, our, our women's retreat um, focused on spiritual gifts. And uh, some of the ladies took a spiritual gifts inventory test, and Ann Kelly sent those to me. And it was just such an encouraging thing to see the wide array of gifts that we have here for the purpose of building our church. It's a joy to behold. So do you know what your gifts are? If you want to explore that, send me an email. I'd love to help you. So God gives to each one of us gifts. Secondly, to use to serve one another as good stewards. Look at what Peter tells us. As each has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I'm not being creative here. I'm just basically copying what Peter tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Your gifts are there for you to serve the church, to serve God's people with. You are called as a Christian by God to use your gifts so that others might grow. To use your gifts so that others might grow. I think that's really cool. We're irreducibly complex for each other's spiritual maturity. God gives you spiritual gifts, as I said a moment ago, because he loves you personally and particularly. And he gives you spiritual gifts because he loves us as the bride of Jesus, his church. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 12. Listen to what he says. Romans 12, beginning in verse 4. Paul says, For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Can we ask a question of ourselves together this morning? What is it that makes a church healthy? What is it that makes a church healthy? Far too often in our cultural American church context, we rely on the gifts of a few. We think if a church has great preaching, 
If a church has great music, if a church has a great missions ministry, let's be honest, if a church has a great child care program, it's a healthy church. And there's nothing inherently wrong about that, but it's not the way the New Testament talks about and thinks about church health, guys. A church is more than the gifts of a few. A church is the gifts of everyone being put into use. I remember when uh, I was a student in college, um, my friends and I would every day go over to the Student Life Center and play basketball or or work out or just play ping pong and hang out. And there was a fraternity at Baylor at the time um, that was famous for, uh, or infamous is maybe a better word, for having a bunch of guys in their fraternity that were just obsessed with working out. And they were popping creatine all the time and just trying to get as, as jacked as they could. But, but they were famous for this. Uh, they always skipped leg day. And, and so all of them are just shredded in their upper body, huge, but they got these little chicken legs and they're running around all the time. And, and it was just kind of funny looking. They were healthy in one aspect, but totally ignored the other. I think that's what a lot of our churches are like. We've got jacked up muscles in some aspects and we're falling apart in other parts of the body. I think our church has had a tendency to be overly reliant on the gifts of a few. You might think, I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but I've heard this a lot over the years. You might think, hey, I go to Christ Church, and Christ Church is a good church because of Luke's gifts, preaching and teaching and leadership. You might think, I go to Christ Church, it's a great church because of Kevin's gifts, hospitality, music, community. Now, Kevin's gifts and my gifts are important, and we are leaders, and it's undoubtedly essential for a healthy church to have healthy leadership, but the church of the, the health of a church is determined by you using your gifts more so than me using mine or Kevin using his. Thriving church health, only being about my gifts makes you too passive. You actively using your gifts per 1 Peter 4 and, and Romans 12 is essential for church health. Think about this. If you've been around for a while, what's the story of our church, guys? We're going to have a newcomer's dessert tonight, and I usually just summarize the story of our church. And for years, to be totally honest with you all, the story of, my, of our church was, was so wrapped up with my story because it was my vision. It was going on in my head. It was my dream. And, and that's just not the case any longer. Christ Church is no longer just Luke's dream and Luke's vision and Luke's stewardship. It's ours. It's our story. It's our gifts. As I think about this, as I reflected on it this week, I just want, I want to share with you just for a second about how your gifts have affected me, have caused me to be healthier, have encouraged me. And I'm just one of hundreds of examples of how each one of our gifts affects every other person. I think about Stacy Rodriguez um, using her gift of intercessory prayer to organize a Sunday morning prayer gathering at 9.30 to serve the church and how that has blessed me. That's probably the best thing that happens in this church on Sundays, by the way, is the 9.30 prayer gathering. I think about Patrick Elbell, who's not even in here because he's still out there serving, using his gift of service to help with set up and take down every week that he's been here, guys, for years. I think about Ann Kelly, 
using her gifts of administration to organize mission trips, to help get our women's ministry off the ground, and to do a lot more. I think about Dan Herman and his gifts of administration and leadership that help us function well organizationally. I think about those of you who have the gift of faith and who have believed when I haven't. I think about those of you who have the gift of encouragement and have lifted me up when I've wanted to stop. I think about those of you who have the gift of spiritual insight and the ability to distinguish between spirits who have helped us make wise decisions and have helped us refrain from making bad decisions. I think about those of you who have the gift of generosity that have helped fund our mission. I think about the hundreds of people who have come and gone on to other communities who have used their gifts to bless us and to bless me. Listen, the present and the future health of our church is not about me. It's about you. It's about us. Are you using your gifts to serve one another? Are you acting as a good steward of God's grace? This is the time of year where some of you ask yourself, or maybe you ask a staff member, how can I get connected? How can I get involved? And that's a great question. And there's many multiple, there's multiple right answers to it. But one is use your gifts. Interestingly, that will make you feel like you're a part more than just about anything else. God gives each one of us gifts to use to serve one another as stewards. Third, in the strength God supplies. Look in verse 11. Peter writes there, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. What Peter's doing here is breaking down all spiritual gifts into two really big buckets. There's the speaking bucket and there's the serving bucket. This is a broad generalizing of all gifts. All gifts that all of us have fall into two big categories. You either have declaring the gospel gifts or you have demonstrating the gospel gifts. Speaking or serving. Some of you have some of both for sure. Interestingly enough, the two offices in the church, elder speaking gifts and deacon serving gifts reflect that. But the point I want to show you here is that both buckets are intended to be used in dependence. Not independence in space, dependence. Independence upon God's grace. Look at how Peter puts it with speaking gifts. Whoever speaks has one who speaks oracles of God. Now, I noticed this for the first time this week studying this passage. Peter is saying that if you have a speaking gift, your gift should be dependent upon God's word. You should remember that your gift is to be used to help people know and live what he calls the oracles of God. So if you're a teacher, if you're a preacher, if you're an interpreter, an encourager, a word of knowledge person, a prayer person, a discernment person, and so on. You're being called by God through this text to remember that your gift is empowered by the spirit of Jesus who actively works through his word. We on our own do not possess the strength and the power in and of ourselves to change anyone, even ourselves, but the word of God does. One old commentator writing about 1 Peter put it like this. Whoever passes on the gospel 
should be intentional about speaking not from narrow individuality, but from a posture of having listened to God. If you use a speaking gift, you are to do so not from a posture of narrow individuality, but having listened to God and being dependent upon him. Brief side note, this is one of the reasons why we believe and practice expository preaching. Even in, quote, topical series, they're based on particular texts of the scripture, but our um, the main diet we use is going through books of the Bible consecutively, one after another. We see the idea of dependence on God and using our gifts even more clearly, though, when Peter writes about serving gifts. Look there at the second half of verse 11. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Think about what this is saying. God will give you, Peter says, God will give you the strength you need to use your gifts of service to help the church. So if you have the gift of generosity or hospitality or mercy, if you have the gift of leadership or administration, you're called by God to remember here that the reservoir of resources you are to draw from doesn't come from you. It comes from God who has endless resources available. And so what we can piece together here is the pattern or the rhythm of the Christian life. It's on display in this passage. The pattern of the Christian life is this. We encounter God. We, we meet with God through his word and through prayer, through worship and the sacraments. And he fills us with the strength and the power to know his love, which is similar to how Paul prays for the church in Ephesians 3. And then out of that place of filling and connection to God, we go out in his power to serve and to exercise our gifts. Staying in that rhythm helps us avoid two very common dangers that we see in church life. One of those dangers is the danger of burnout. Where does burnout come from? Burnout comes from you going out and serving and feeding, and caring, and helping, and administering, but not remaining connected to the one who gives you the strength. A second danger is idleness. Idleness means that you might be encountering God and his grace, and you're growing personally in Christ, but you're not doing anything with it. There's a story about a great violinist. His name was Niccolo Paganini. Niccolo Paganini, great name. Uh, when he died in his will, he willed his violin to Genoa, which was the city of his birth. Uh, but he said, Genoa can only have this violin on the condition that the instrument is never to be played upon again. And, and it was an unfortunate condition because one of the peculiarities of wood, apparently, is that as long as it is used and handled, it shows very little wear and tear. But as soon as it's discarded, it begins to decay. Some of you are treating your gifts like the city of Genoa and Niccolo Paganini. You like that? Treated that violin. It's just sitting there. And if it just sits there, it's not remaining neutral. It's decaying. It's atrophying because you're idle. Which group might you be tempted to fall into? The burnout group or the idleness group? A serving church is one where there is balance here. The last thing we see 
is the goal of all of this. We use our gifts as good stewards to serve in the strength God supplies for God's glory. Look at the end of verse 11. In order that, here's the purpose of all this, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The goal of a serving church, the goal of every Christian using their gifts to build up and serve one another is that in everything God may be glorified. When the full range of activities in the Christian community is done with love, when the full range of activities in the Christian community is done with love, God's spectacular grace and God's lavishly loving hearts is made more fully known. And he is more fully honored. How does that work? A serving church is one in which each person is committed to using his or her gifts to serve and build up others. A serving church is inherently self-giving, not self-serving. A serving church is one in which each person is resting in the love of God for them and that that rest flows out into work on behalf of each other. We've seen all that throughout the text. So how does that glorify God? It glorifies God because these patterns of service and sacrifice and love reflect God's own heart. They show us God's deepest character. Indeed, that's exactly who God has shown himself to be for every single one of us in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 9 that he didn't come to be served, even though it turns out he's God. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came as a humble servant, willing to lay aside his divine prerogatives. And Jesus used all of his gifts and all of his graces to serve us, not because we were worthy, not because we deserved it, not because we were friendly and kind to him. No, in spite of our unfriendliness towards him, the gospel is that Jesus Christ served us sinners weak and broken, lost and blind through his life, death, and resurrection. And his service brings us back to life. His sacrifice and self-giving is our hope and it is our peace. So a serving church brings glory to the greatness of God's love for us in and through Jesus who has served us so freely and so fully. I want to call all of you. And I want to call myself to be a part of a church that's committed to using our gifts to serve. There's a volunteer fair today. It's not going to be the greatest thing ever, but it'll be pretty awesome. Um, There's going to be food, there's going to be drinks, there's going to be people, and you can see ways you can get involved. There you go. Find a way to serve. Ask. Get involved. We need you. What better way to demonstrate that we believe that Jesus loves us than to love others, than to love others in his name. Irreducible complexity. All of you are essential, just as God in Christ has made you to be. God has brought you here to be a part of what he is doing, to play a role. It may be in the front It may be in the back. It may be for 20 years. It may be for two months. It may change over the years, the way in which you serve, or it may say the same forever, but you can be certain 
that you are needed and that you're going to be fulfilled by playing a role. To God be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.